Good morning, good afternoon to everyone wherever you are in the world. This is the Child Rights Chat. First of all, I'm actually going to introduce the Child Rights Chat because it might be the first time you're landing on this podcast. So we're a multinational project with the overall aim to create a digital space for learning about children's rights, their legal instruments and the challenges for their protection and promotion in practice. We have a Twitter account, it's at Child Rights Chat and a website, childrightschat.com. And this is the podcast, which is a student-led educational tool aimed at enriching and enhancing our knowledge and understanding of the work of advocates, scholars, defenders, etc. Students like myself engage in conversation with inspiring figures in the field of children's rights, climate justice, and much more, with different focuses throughout the series. Uh, during this series, we'll focus on climate justice and LGBTQ plus rights, among other very important topics nowadays. But of course, first I have to introduce myself because it's the first time you hear my voice on this podcast. My name is Mark Ramoneda. My Twitter account is Mark's Politics with a C, so feel free to follow me on there. I'm not as active as I'd like to be though. I'm originally from Barcelona, and as you can probably hear, I'm not a native English speaker, so please bear with me if I make any mistakes. I'm 21 years old and I'm non-binary. My pronouns are they, them. And my uh, background is basically activism. Um, I've just graduated from the University of East London in uh, International Development and NGO Management. And um, I've done activism on human rights, climate justice and animal rights for about five years now. But what I'm most excited about actually today is having our wonderful guest on, whose name is Nivi Ville. Her pronouns are she, her, and she's an amazing indigenous Inuk from Kalalit Nunat. Uh, she was raised in Nuuk in the capital and went to school in Denmark from age 15 to 27 years old. She studied psychology for her undergraduate and her master's, and then moved back home to Greenland. She is now a self-employed psychologist, traveling to cities and settlements around Greenland to give therapy to more isolated communities. And she is, of course, also an advocate. That's why she's here today. Before we say hello to her, I want to offer a quick trigger warning for racialized individuals, because there's going to be mention of colonization, forced sterilization, sexual violence, and other topics that can be very triggering and harmful to hear about if you're still living them today. Hello, Nili. Hello. Welcome to the first episode. <laughs> so happy to be here. Okay, so we can just dive straight in. What is your current work and why is it so essential? Yeah, my current work is that I'm a self-employed psychologist and then I work together with our government um, in Greenland. But I travel to uh, smaller settlements and cities to give therapy um, because we are not that many therapists. So currently I'm the only Greenlandic speaking therapist in the whole South area and it's a gigantic area. I have uh, different groups that I help. For example, um, the ones who are sexual, so sexual survivors. And then I have another group, people that have gotten forced IUDs when they were children by the Danish government. I also give them therapy now. That is one of the major works that I do right now. So it's traveling all the time. That's amazing. And uh, you travel mainly in the south of Greenland then, or do you travel also around the country? Because it's a gigantic country, like you were saying. It's a gigantic country. I travel around our country, um, but to the same two cities um, every month for a year, and then the cities changes mm -hmm. so that all of the cities and settlements will get a visit from from psychologists. Mm -hmm. And how come there's so few um, Greenlandic-speaking therapists in Greenland. Why is that? Um, yeah, first of all, we are uh, only almost 60,000 um, people in Greenland. And it's a giant country. <laughs> and we have always been wondering, why are we so few? Like, this is a giant country. And it's just being discovered one of the reasons why because our parents and grandparents, they were forced IUDs in their uterus when they were children. So a lot of uh, the people that got IUDs, they, um, it ended up as a sterilization. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those didn't get the right to choose if they wanted children. So that is one of the groups that I help. And they have had 
so much, so many consequences, of course, as you can all imagine. And yeah, it, it was a part of the post-colonization things that Denmark did to keep Greenland under their region, under their state. They try to make Greenland a Danish region so that they would have the the power of our land because strategically Greenland is uh, if you look from a, like a globe like Greenland is here and there's Russia and there's USA so we are just in the middle so mm -hmm. it's strategically really powerful for Denmark to have this land under their name so mm -hmm. that little Denmark can be a, a big player yeah, that makes a lot of sense, because I think a lot of people actually don't know um, that um, there was a horrible process of colonization, which still is ongoing today, and which you will talk more about in Greenland. Well, when was it, around what century was it um, invaded by the Danish? Yeah, it was 300 years ago that the missionaries came to Greenland to make us Christian. Mm. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was uh, uh, a priest called Hans Egel um, that came here uh, under the Danish um, name, the king and all of those that made a decision. They wanted to spread out Christianity and they had heard about some, some people living in this country. Um, yeah, so he came 300 years ago and... Well, he succeeded in um, making us, making Inu the Inuit Christian. And some see him as a hero. Like, uh, I think a lot of uh, Inuit, they have, they, they took in Christianity as a kind of a comfort in all of the things that was happening. And well, I'm sure a historian will, will know more um, of his diaries and the letters he sent to the king and all of that. Um, well, but but we have a statue of him in in um, in Nuuk, our capital, where he's like on the top of our city, looking down on us. He he founded Nuuk. Um, before that, we lived um, as hunter hunter gatherers, and we were voyagers. So, where the food were, and depending on the climate, we were there. So we were voyagers, but. That's not good when you want to be Christian because you need churches and all of that. And yeah, he, he saw Inuit people as primitive and less than people. That is what he wrote in his diaries. Mm -hmm. So oh Yeah, and we're, we're definitely going to have to talk more about this Danish colonization of Greenland because I think a lot of people and not just people who are from outside this whole dynamic between Denmark and Greenland, people like me who were born in Barcelona, we have no idea that this goes on. When we get taught about Greenland, there's no notion, notion of colonization or any violence to how this became the country that it is today. So it would be amazing for our listeners to know a little bit more about the, this horrible process of colonization, which is still ongoing, according to a lot of activists. And yet you are someone who can really see the long lasting impacts of this mm -hmm colonization because as you said you deal with youth you deal with children and you deal with people in general from different parts of uh, Greenland um, who are now suffering the generational consequences of such colonization and can you tell us a bit about that and also about the things that more specifically uh, Denmark did to Greenland in terms of colonization such as the Danifying camps for example yeah so after the second world war ended it was illegal to have colonies. Um, so you would have to give them independence. But Denmark, they weren't interested in just giving away that powerful land. So they misled um, FN um, and gave us, um, made it like a region. So like a region under Denmark and the illusion of self-rule, the illusion of that it was an independent country. And then they started danifying Greenland. They wanted from one day to the other to make it a modern uh, land. So that's when the modernization began, the danifying projects began, and also keeping 
Inuit less than Danish people. So one of the things that they did was, for example, uh, close the smaller cities, the smaller settlements, and then move them into big like ghetto blocks in the bigger cities um, so that they would be closer to the fishing um, industry. So that's what we call uh, G50 and G60. So in the 50s and 60s, the um, urbanization uh, began. Oh yeah, they did so many things. <laughs> and I, 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 um, a historian would know the dates and whatever better, but um, uh, the forced IUDs on, we think around 10,000 people got forced IUDs. Um, and that was between 1966 and 1975. It also happened in a, in, it's also happening now. I have clients that have no idea they have an IUD up in them. So, yeah, but officially, yeah, the strategies came from Denmark highest up. It costs too much, too much money to have Greenland. So they wanted to stop the population from um, expanding. And what better way than to force IUDs up in children so they won't have children? Just did a little bit of reading about it. And apparently few of the women and few of the parents of children, because there were girls involved that were as young as 13 years old, Few of them actually so 11, granted their permission. I, I have someone who was 11. Oh my God. Yeah, you have all the insider's information because you actually deal with these people, which is... Yeah, yeah, I talk to them every day. And your mother was one of the victims of this. Uh, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, my mother was one of the victims, the survivors of the forced IUD. And well, they were just um, in class, like a normal day in school. And then a nurse came and said, all the girls, uh, you have to come along, and they had no idea what was what they had to go to to um, to the doctors, and they were just put in the waiting room, and they just had to one at a time come in, and the Danish doctors, they were just, I'm gonna put this up in you, and well, they did, and it was one of the first IUDs ever made, and it was made for like a adult-sized IUDs. So it was not made for a child that has never had their uterus expanded after birth. So it was meant for adults who had already given birth. So they put those up in children. And of course, as you can imagine, it was really painful to have that thing up in you. And they had no idea why. And they weren't the, the parents weren't asked and they weren't asked, so it was non-consensual in every way. Well, and children can't give uh, consent consent to, to anything. So that is what happened. And my mother, she got it when she was a teenager and she wasn't sexually active. And it was just something, you know, she describes it. She's super resilient. <laughs> so uh, she's not much about like making it a trauma. That is her trauma response, I think, that she... Um, super resilient so but if you look at her body um the iud damaged her uterus and her um, the, the place where the eggs come from you have two of them and one of them were ruined by the iud and the other one was also really damaged so when she finally got pregnant um she wanted to get pregnant when yeah when she met my father she was 26 and they couldn't get pregnant for many years and finally she got pregnant and it was outside of where it's supposed to be because the uterus they didn't yeah it didn't work as it should so she almost died I think three or four times if she had come like one hour too late for the doctor she would have died because of the the damages what's most mind-blowing to me about all of this is that a lot of people are finding out now that all of these medical consequences come yeah. up their bodies and they actually had no idea um, until they yeah. trace it back to all of that which was also the time of danifying camps well, what yeah. was that all about so they wanted to modernize and danify greenland so that it would be just like uh, Yuland, Yuland, like there's COVID, uh, Shetland and there's Yuland, and then it was like just like that uh, 
Jutland is a part of Denmark and whatever. So it should be a Danish region, just like the other. Yeah. So they took children down to nine, eight years old to Denmark on Danifying camps um, so that they could learn Danish. And they were just uh, gathered from their villages or settlements or cities and been taken into a boat and they had no address, no anything. They were just, you have to go to Denmark. And um, it was over 10,000 children that were in these stainifying camps. Some were illegally adopted and some like my mother and other um, they say, because of the Danifying camps, I could get an education. Because if you want to get an education, you need to be able to speak Danish. And the fundamental thing about that, uh, well, I think is wrong. That you can't, like a Greenlandic little girl from a settlement here or a little further down, she can dream of being a doctor or whatever. But if she can't speak Danish, she can't get an education. So the fundamental thing in that I think is wrong, but some of these that were on the Danifying camps, they see it as the thing that saved them so that they could, could get an education because, well, it is Danified. Uh, we can't just go back to living how we were living before Denmark came and discovered us. Mm -hmm. So I think some see it well, my mother does see it as something that helped her that she could speak Danish. But of course she would, She told me about that she was lonely and she couldn't speak the language when she first came to Denmark. She had no idea where she was going. And, um, and even the parents didn't really know where the children were the going. the parents didn't really know what they, where they were going. So mm. it was just like, and, and I try to think about why my grandparents, they agreed to it. But I think they were so scared of the Danes. And I think they have been told from our elders and, and uh, that when a Danish man comes and tells you to do something, you agree. That is like the mentality we have. We are very, we see them as authorities still today. I think it's embedded in our mentality that we are less than and then we have to do what's told because they say it's what's best for us. In, in Denmark, they say, it did best meaning. So for your best sake, and to help you, we do this. Mm -hmm. It's an adventure for you to come to Denmark. It's best for you if you move from your house in a bigger, in a smaller settlements to this bigger city, you will have more opportunities. You will have a better life. So um, it wasn't like they came and forced, I don't know, maybe they did before that, but some of the people that tell these things, they say, but I did it willingly. But I think it's the bigger manipulation game that has been going on for 300 years that the Danes, they know better and they want to help. They are the, um, the ones who help and what, what's it called? The saviors, <laughs> the, the white savior. I think we see that white saviors everywhere, of course. Mm. But um, yeah, I think that's why my grandmother, she agreed to it. She was like, this is best for you because my grandmother, she couldn't speak Danish and that's why she couldn't get an education. So she wanted the best for her children. And my mother was selected as one of the uh, lucky ones who could go to Denmark. Um, and the Danes selected all the lucky ones and all the ones with yeah, the, the ones who were best at school or whatever, they were sent to Denmark because they had to be the elite of Greenland. These Danifying camps, it had the, um, 
to create elite Greenlanders, elite Greenlanders, that's what the Danes called them. It was the whole project was to make elite Greenlanders that could lead the way to other Greenlanders to be more of this, so more Danish and lead the modernization in the way Denmark wanted us to, to go. Wow, thank you for explaining all of this. And I'm thinking that these people today, of course, aside from those who saw it as an opportunity, also feel the consequences, even if it's just physiologically or psychologically, they, they still feel what it was to be taken from their families unconsensually yeah. from such yeah. an early age. Yeah. And um, actually I heard about a story that just like blew my mind in a, in a bad way, of course, um, of a couple of Greenlandic children who actually escaped one of the Danifying centers in Denmark and they tried to walk to Greenland to go back to their homes. Um, yeah, do you know a little bit more about this, just briefly? Uh, yeah, I've heard about uh, children looking for the ocean, for example, because we are surrounded by the ocean and, and mountains, looking for the ocean and looking for comfort and yeah, running away. And some, well, some never came back. Some were illegally adopted. That is also a thing that's coming up now, all the illegal adoptions for these children that was on a Danifying camp. So yeah, yeah. But I think a lot of that people from the generation, they have been silenced. And when they spoke up, they were silenced. So, and they have found a way to cope and to live. And not all of them are ready to see it as a trauma or to deal with it. Uh, but I talk to them, I give therapy to them who are ready because time is now to heal. And I think my generation um, really want to understand and heal uh, the generational trauma that we also feel. But now we have like some things that we can ask our mothers and grandmothers or grandfathers and fathers or uncles and whatever. Did you get an IUD? Were you in Denmark? And are you legally fatherless or did you get sterilized from this? And is this what? So we have like a frame now that we can ask because I didn't know these things. I've just discovered them now. And I came from that universe that experienced these things. And so we, we have a frame to ask our ancestors or our parents now uh, because Denmark is ready to investigate itself. The past prime ministers and all of that, they have said, we have nothing to apologize for, nothing to heal in this relationship. That has been like the, um, the word. Uh, but now our prime minister, uh, the the, the she is different than the others. Um, in this sense, she has been the first one to apologize for some things. The exp experimental children, they have been apologized to. And well, there's also legally fatherless. I don't think we have <laughs> talked about that. <laughs> so there are a lot of things to apologize for. And I speak to the victims and they say, oh my God, an apology would mean everything to me. So a lot of people are like, well, what can an apology do? Because it's the the damage is done. They don't understand how worthless these people they feel they have experienced these well experiments and danifying things. They couldn't get the life they wanted. They couldn't give love to a child or to the community or education, and they feel like they are worthless and less than and that they should just, um, yeah, will not exist. <laughs> um, so that is like a heavy burden over our country, I think, this um, collective feeling of low self-worth and that we don't have autonomy to um, decide what we want with our basic human rights the basic rights to save housing and to save medical care and education and 
the decision yourself if you want children or not. So, yeah, that is why when a lot of Danes, they say, oh, it's so bad in Greenland. Oh, no, it's so bad. They don't look at why is it so bad? Like, and now they are ready to investigate um, themselves, I think, and change the narrative that it was epistemini, that it was for uh, the, our best um, interests. They are ready to, to see, well, maybe it wasn't in their best interest that we forced IUDs, that we made legalist fatherless, legally fatherless uh, individuals, and that we made danifying camps, and that we moved them from their homes, and that we use their land, maybe it was not in their best interest, maybe it was in our best interest to keep them as this powerful tool so that we can be more powerful in the world. I think there some are ready. And I think that the media is more ready to, to look at these things. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with us. And yeah, 100%. There was a series of events that happened, which we have not talked about in detail, but there's a lot more that happened in Greenland. So I invite everyone to also investigate what these fatherless people are, um, because it all comes down to reproduction and the control of reproduction, um, which is also something that is repeated far beyond uh, Greenland uh, in many colonial contexts. And yeah, the, well, just as a briefly mentioned, legally fatherless, fatherless people um, were the children of um, Danish men who came to Greenland and then they got Greenlandic women pregnant. Um, so I think the reflection of how that was allowed reproduction while there was completely controlled reproduction for those Greenlandic people not to procreate with the Greenlandic people is really showing of what the dynamics of Danish and European white supremacist uh, colonization is about. Um, and there was also an equal pay um, for Greenlanders written into law, which was only removed in the 80s, uh, which was very recent. All, all of this information I've got from Navy, we were talking a bit um, earlier about this. Um, so yeah, there's all of these different series of, of horrible violations, human rights violations that we won't get into, but I really recommend that everyone also reads up on this, especially if you're Danish, especially if you're European, uh, because our wealth is built on the on the legacy of all this violence. And as we know, Europe wouldn't be what it is today or the um, so-called first world, um, global north would not be what it is today if it weren't for all the violence and extractivism of um, these big countries or small countries like Denmark. But countries that believe themselves to be big um, against yes. other people. Um, and yes, going back to your work, uh, thank you very much for, of course, unveiling all of that information, which also is hurtful to you, I'm sure. So we really appreciate you putting this energy into explaining all of this. Um, but back to your work as a psychologist in Greenland, I know that you work with LGBTQ plus people, young people, and I'd like to ask you, what are your experiences of it? What is it like in Greenland to be LGBT as a youth? Well, it, I, it's difficult. Um, I think, and what I see and experience is a lot of, um, people don't really know what it means yet. And I think in, all parts of the world, no matter how modern, of course, there are some people who, who don't understand and who are, um, yeah, experience um, transphobia and homophobia. And of course we have that here too. And I, I think it's getting better now and we have like an, uh, um, we have a community now, um, although it's very small, but we do have some really strong indigenous voices and really, really, really strong youth, uh, like also 10 years younger than me, they're extremely strong and 
well spoken and there are so many of them um, that I really look up to too. Um, but in my experience with um, especially non-binary um, people, I've had uh, some of them, also trans people, in, in my work at the youth center before I became self-employed. Um, they experienced transphobia everywhere. Um, so it gave them like, of course, a feeling they don't belong. And um, I tried to speak to the schools, for example, because it was uh, young, young children, like under, under 18. And I, I spoke with the, our Human Rights Coalition and I spoke with the schools. And some of the schools, they were just, they refused to call my clients their right pronouns, which is a really easy thing you can do. Um, yeah, that is also suicide prevention to, uh, to call people their right pronouns. It doesn't take anything away from your privileges and does take everything away from your life to call people their right pronouns. And just things like that I experienced um, with some prominent um, figures in, yeah, well, in school and other leaders that they were just refusing to, to do these things. And I fought and fought and fought and fought for the rights. And to my um, clients, I helped them being uh, moved from some of the classes and, and uh, experiences that made them even more afraid to go to school. For example, where you divide, this is girls, and this is boys, and there's only that, right? Um, so I tried to make um, uh, theme days about trans people and non-binary people and different kinds of identities. And I had um, non-binary people with me. They really wanted to, to spread the knowledge and I could be there as a support and as, um, yeah, as a psychologist so that I could have some, some, some background, even though I'm not the, like, Trans people, binary people know more about these topics than a psychologist. But I'm seen as a therapy that with which word is higher than, yeah. So that is also what's wrong with our world. But yeah, I try to educate the teachers and the other psychologists about these things with the help of non-binary non people. And some of them were like, whoa, I didn't even know it could be like this. And <laughs> others were just rude. And um, yeah, but it's a constant uh, battle. And if I can help, I will do it because I think as an ally and you need to also do what you can, but not take focus, right, of course. Um, but my I could, I, I knew that my voice to these people were more important than the non-binary client I was helping. They had tried to explain these things so many times, but when I came and said, no, this is illegal, you can't do this. That was when they listened. And that's when my client got their rights, um, basic human rights. So, yeah. That's amazing. And I was just wondering, what is the background of queerness in Greenland? How do indigenous perspectives view um, queerness? Do you have any knowledge on that? Um, I'm, I'm sure a historian would know more, but um, before Christianity, uh, trans people were known in our community and they were higher up in the hierarchy. And it was accepted and it was praised and it like they um, weren't harassed as we see today with um, with Christianity. So 
indigenous spirituality um yeah it uplifts queerness as we we know it today and like it is shown in our language because we don't have pronouns like binary pronouns in our language um when we make a sentence there's not like she or her or they it's just someone is playing football <laughs> like that and then you know who you're talking about so in our language it's um there are no pronouns in it and so and a lot of names it's for all genders and like originally we didn't uh, have like this binary vision that came with christianity and modernization and yeah it is man-made this uh, non-binary thing that uh, binary thing that is um yeah, ruining our sense of self and yeah, really uh, unhealthy stereotypes. And we also experience those here. And so you're saying that it's actually also partly inherited from the Danish colonization because they brought on Christianity with yeah. all these homophobia and transphobia. Mm -hmm. um, so this is yet another consequence of this yeah. horrible intervention of Denmark. Yeah. Um, and do, do you think that therapy is enough? Do you think that the solution to all this generational trauma um, that Greenlandic people experience all over the country because of this ongoing process of suppression of, of them or putting them like further down in the hierarchy, in the social hierarchy, do you think therapy like you provided, um, because I know it's a very scarce resource, you're the only Greenlandic speaking uh, therapist in the south of the country, so do you think that if there were more of it, that would be enough to kind of get, get a starting point at healing um, the, the community in Greenland? Or is it, is it, what else do you think would, would have to be in the game for a more systemic transformation? Well, we need so much more. Because um, therapy, like, it is not that preventing, like, they have already had forced IDs, IUDs. They have already experienced sexual trauma. They have already been all these things, assaulted, whatever. So we need systemic change and we need our voice back and we need the feeling of autonomy in our own country. And we need, um, yeah, this, there has to be a shift in our mentality that we are the authorities in our own country. We know better, like we know the climate, we know all the geographical um, differences and all the geographical um, difficulties. Um, we know the language, we know the culture, we have a better understanding of well well the state of mind of, of of greenland but still danish people are seen as um, the saviors still and of course we need everybody who has love for greenland but not when it up when it upholds this uh unbalance in power because it's it's still there if you have a Danish mindset or if you are, you have these privileges of being able to speak Danish and I have them too. So I am also seen as one of the privileged ones. I could get an education. I could get all of these things, safe housing and all the privileges. And uh, so if you have privileges, really, what are you using them for? Um, how do you uplift your nation? How do you uplift uh, the so-called weak ones, as we call it here, Disve, that is the weak ones. And I would like to change that to the survivors. The strong, they are actually the strong ones because they are the used people and the one who got equal pay and still uh, get equal pay and get treated like they are second, uh, second citizens in their own country. So I think they're the strong ones. 
and political changes, systemic changes, and <laughs> all those things are needed. And I have hope for my generation and the future generation. I think that they will grow up with more knowledge about our history because we didn't learn it in school and we could just see, oh my God, there are so many people suffering, but ne we have never been told why. And we are starting to understand, well, of course they have experienced these things. Of course there are consequences. And thank you. Yeah, if they they had gotten help back then, maybe they would have a better life now. Um, but they didn't get help. They were silenced and they were seen as uh, if they got to the doctor and like had so much pain. I have a client, she couldn't like bend over for 20 years because she had an IUD. She went to the doctor so many times and they just sent her home. They never investigated her. She had the IUD up in her in 25 years and she had so much pain every day. She couldn't work. She couldn't study. She never learned to um to read or write because she had so much pain. She just had that IUD up in her 25 years and it got stuck up in her, um, like her uterus or in, uh, in there, it got stuck into the, into her. Yeah. So yeah, that is one of the things that we are discovering now why they can't read some of them and why they couldn't get, <sighs> A job and why maybe someone are self-medicating with whatever they can get a hold of so yeah if they gotten help back then maybe our community would look different now because i don't think anybody chooses to live like that and chooses to self-medicate and chooses themselves to do these things because they don't have a choice they just cope and survive, and they are so strong for that. Well, thank you very, very, very much for explaining all of these things to us. I think that our listeners now have a better understanding or a, at least some notions of what the ongoing colonization of Denmark in Greenland um, means and what it, what it does for the people who are Inuit um, and who are living there and have lived there for generations and centuries so thank you very much for all of these explanations and as just one last question um where can people find out more about what happened in greenland who can they follow on social media uh, what organizations can they look up and also how can allies take action especially danish people i call on danish people we call on danish people to do better and do more because this is their past and it's their legacy and their wealth today depends on the past colonization and current exploitation of uh, Kalalit Nunat. So yeah, basically what resource can people check out to expand their horizons on this issue and uh, what actions can Danish people, but also people around the world take mm. in solidarity? Uh, oh, there's so many people to follow, especially on Instagram. Um, maybe we can make a list at some point. I don't know. There are so many. Um, well, yeah, also just a state of mind I would like them, especially Danish people, to, to get into is maybe all I know is prejudice and racism. So maybe all I know is wrong. All I thought I knew about the relationship between Greenland and Denmark. Maybe it's wrong. Maybe it's an illusion. Maybe it was something I was told. Uh, to believe. So I would like them to get into like a state of mind where it's like a clean slate-ish because it can be really damaging and re-traumatizing when they say, but it was in your best interest that we did this uh, to you and it was, it was for your best that we did this. So that is really hurtful and I would like everybody to stop saying it because we have heard the um, phrase so many times. Movies have been made about these phrases and we hear it everywhere. So that is something we have to just stop saying. <laughs> we would for once like the story to be told um, without ending it with, but it was 
in their best interest that we did this. So, yeah, and pass the mic and be open to other perspectives. Um, and don't center yourself and don't like, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, no, it wasn't. Oh, but, but oh, I feel so bad being Danish. So that we have to comfort them. Not, not, none of that. Just um, it has nothing to do with you. <laughs> like you weren't the one making these decisions. You just happen to be born into Denmark, whatever. Um, but you also have a responsibility and yeah, that is like the psychological part that I can think of that people can do because I know how traumatizing it is to go to Denmark and experience this racism and prejudices and like that they already know better than I do, even though they've never been in Greenland. So there is this feeling like they own us still. And I have had so many experiences of uh, meeting that in Denmark. Like I have had um, like men say to me, I own you because I pay for you. I own you because our government pays for your existence. So yeah, um, I've heard everything you could possibly imagine of racism uh, as a Inuit um, in Denmark. And I hope it's changing because we are still kind of um, in the, like dependent on if if um, someone wants to be a psychologist, they have to go to Denmark to study. So an Inuit wants to be a doctor or a lawyer, or you can be a lawyer here now. So, but a psychologist, doctor, whatever, you have to go to Denmark. And the culture shock and the racism and the, the discrimination is just so overwhelming for some, of course, that they don't finish their studies and they go home. And I did that so many times. <laughs> I finished my studies, but I went home two times a year for so many months and I just studied at home because I couldn't, I couldn't bear to be there and listen to the to the racism and discrimination discrimination and being looked down on, but still fetishist. Um, and still like I'm so exotic, but it's oh, but your, your country is so sad, right? So there's this like fetishization of us, but also like um, looking down on us and that we are an adventure, you can come and have a couple of years in Greenland and be on adventure and like be a beer, like a white savior. So it's like, and it's very damaging to uphold this um, on and power. And yeah, we could Great. probably keep on going because there's so much. And I think uh, there's so many other indigenous voices that I think um, are so important and they are, they are much more um, active on, on media than I, because I can sometimes be like, I don't know enough to be able to, to say anything, but that is like my own bad uh, putting myself down. I don't know enough yet. Maybe I have to study a little bit more. I would be able to say something. Maybe I just like rehearse more. And I think it's the imposter syndrome because I know enough to say things like, and we need to speak up <laughs> and I can speak up on the behalf of the IUD, uh, forced IUD survivors and other uh, racially marginalized um, clients I have. So I, I can be their voice a little bit. Um, if they don't have the, the um, yeah, some just wants the privacy, of course, and, and don't want to speak up. They just want to live. Um, so I can be a voice for some of them. And I will do that when I, when I can, but I'm also introverted and uh, yeah, so. 
Well, thank you very much. I think those words were very illuminating to all of us. So for sure, you're more than able to kind of inspire solidarity in all of us um, with your knowledge. So like you heard Nibi, so everyone in Denmark, please challenge your ideas about Greenland and please challenge what you've been taught and what you've heard from your neighbors, from your schools and from other institutions and think for yourself and especially pass the mic, like Nibi said, just repeating uh, the important bits she said about how to show up for the Greenlandic community. Pass the mic, don't center yourself in if you do solidarity activism and basically give a platform to the people who haven't had it before so that they get a chance to tell their stories and that the world can know um, so that we can move forward with reparations and um, building a new relation or not even a new relation, just I guess a new community that is safe for everyone and that can I guess, heal uh, little by little from all of these centuries of harm. So, well, thank you very much, Nini, for the interview today. It was very, very eye-opening, even for me, who has read some of it. It's like, yeah, every time I speak to you, also in real life, it's just very inspiring. So thank you for coming to this space. And you're welcome to come back anytime, because we can all learn a lot from you. Thank you. I'm really happy I could be on it. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. And I'm sure there's a lot more. Uh, my brain is super fast. So <laughs> I don't think I have said it all, but we can do another episode. And I think a lot of other, as I said, indigenous voices are really important too. And well, I can give you a list. And Amazing. Yeah, we'll send a list uh, with all of these resources so that you can also uh, listeners learn more about Greenland. I for sure will, because I've lived in Denmark, so I have a responsibility to as someone who holds the privilege to be in that space and benefit from that wealth that is ultimately stolen. Uh, so thank you very much and speak to you soon, I hope. Yeah. Bye. Bye.